Well, I do want to say good morning. Welcome to New Hope Chapel's Sunday morning praise and worship service. I do wish all of you fathers a happy Father's Day. And uh, I welcome those of you online that are staring up at that little box. I know you're there. You know, when my wife, Kathy, learned some couple of months back that I would be doing both Mother's Day and Father's Day, a little unusual since we kind of split things up a little bit, but for some reason, I'm the lucky one, Bob. <laughs> In any event, she says to me, is it going to be the same? I said, what do you mean by that? She says, well, on Mother's Day, we commemorate moms. On Father's Day, we scold dads. <laughs> and that's probably true. You know, probably. It's, I think it's understandable because, quite frankly, the spiritual oversight and responsibility for the homes fall on dad. And when you have that kind of responsibility, if you're not on your toes, you can make simple mistakes. And it's those mistakes that people are always reminding you that you have fallen short. Well, I'm going to be a little more even-handed this morning. Straight from the traditional Father's Day sermon. And I'm going to make it about parents. I'm going to be talking about dads, and I'm going to be talking about moms, parents. Well, you see by your handouts that the title of my sermon is God's Design for a Beautiful Home. And my text is the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. It's printed in the New New King James. Uh, for your easy reference, there's also an outline of my sermon so that you might follow it with ease. Well, you know, before I begin, a, a small note. I have to say that as I go through this sermon, I want you to understand that I have no intention. It is not my intent to inflict guilt, but it's my intent to teach and to encourage I can state with confidence that all, all have fallen or will fall short of God's message this morning. So with me, join as I look to Psalm 1914 so that my words may be mine, but his thoughts are in those words. So dear Lord, this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen? You know, there was an artist who wanted to paint a picture of the most beautiful thing in the world. So he went to his pastor and he said, what is the most beautiful thing in the world? The pastor said, faith. You can feel it in every church and find it at every altar. The artist then asked a young bride, what is the most beautiful thing in the world? She said, love. Love builds poverty into riches. It sweetens tears. It makes much of little. It is the most beautiful thing in the world. He talked next to a soldier who had just come back from battle. And he said, in response to the question, the soldier said, peace. Peace is so beautiful because war is so ugly. And wherever you find peace, you find beauty. The artist thought to himself, How can I paint faith, love, peace? And when he went back to his family that night, 
Walking through the door, he saw faith in the eyes of his children, love in the eyes of his wife, and the peace that that love and faith had built. And so he painted the picture of the most beautiful thing in the world, and when he had finished it, he called it home. I do believe there is not a more beautiful thing in the world than a true Christian home. But an artist trying to paint that picture today will find it hard to paint a beautiful picture. The divorce rate has risen more than 700% in the 20th century and continues to rise in this 21st century. There is now one divorce for every 1.8 marriages. Over a million children a year are subjected to divorce cases and over 13 million children under the age of 18 have either one or both parents missing. And even in homes where families are together, the picture is increasingly grim. 20% of all murders are family-related, and one-third of all female homicides are committed by husbands or by their partners. So I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that Satan's biggest guns are not aimed at the church, they're not aimed at the state, they're not aimed at the school, they are aimed at the home. Because the life of a nation cannot rise above the life of the homes. And so we must be candid and we must admit that the home is certainly an endangered species. But I am convinced that if we can preserve the bison, the whooping crane, and the hunchback whale, we can preserve the family. As long as there is a word from God and the word of God, there is help for any house, for any home. And just because the home or your home may be in danger, that does not mean the home is doomed. In our text this morning, Moses, we see that Moses is giving his farewell address to the nation of Israel just before they're ready to cross into the promised land. And God gives him a foolproof formula to fortify the family, knowing that the stronger the family, the stronger the nation And when the family is secure, the nation is secure. And God gives Moses a beautiful blueprint that will enable any father and any mother to build a beautiful home. So first, in your outline, consider there are dedicated lives that must be lived. This farewell address is directly, primarily to the parents. Moses says in our text, verse 2, You are to fear the Lord your God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you and your son and your grandson. So consider that a nation never rises above its homes, and a home never rises above its parents. Therefore, delinquent parents turn out delinquent children. If we are going to have the kind of homes that we ought to have, dad must be a godly dad that God has called him to be. And mom must be the godly mom that God has called her to be. You know, Webster's Dictionary defines delinquent as failing or neglecting to do what duty or law requires. There are so many parents who have become derelict in their God-given duty, not just to train up a child in the way he should go, but to set the proper example 
for that child. You parents, please remember that, that the Bible is as much caught as it is taught. How you live Scream so loudly that your kids often can't even hear many times what you say. If your attitude toward your child is, don't do as I do, do as I say, you're headed for trouble. This morning, we are told specifically the kind of life that parents ought to live before their children. So I want you to consider three things. First, in your outline A, a life of reverence. Our text, verse 1 and 2, states, Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God. I want to tell you first, addressing dads. I want to say to you dads that there is no substitute for a father who shows his child by the way he lives, by the language he uses, by the places he goes, by the television programs that he watches, by the books that he reads, that he fears the Lord. By the over and over we are told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That is a powerful truth. That child in your home may grow up and become a Rhodes Scholar, He may receive the highest of academic degrees. He may become a world-renowned professor and researcher. But if that young person never knows what it is to fear God, he will stumble and rumble and tumble through life as a failure and as a fool. Again, reverence is more caught than it is taught You ought to show your kids that you fear God by keeping your language clean, by diligently attending the house of God, by consistently reading and sharing the word of God. You know, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, made it a point to teach his son in Proverbs 22, 4, that by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. And then secondly, in your outline, consider B a life of righteousness. When a Christian fears the Lord, not only will he hate evil, but he will love righteousness. So Moses continues to instruct these parents, again, verse 2, to keep all his statutes and all his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life. Let me tell you, parents, something. You are the only Bible many of your children will ever read. If your children were to stand up and give a truthful testimony about the way you live, could they honestly say that you live a life that keeps the commandments, that you are living a life under the authority of the word of God, that in every area of your life, financially, recreationally, vocationally, you are living a life of obedience to whatever God has commanded you in his word. Now, remember something, and don't ever forget it, that the fear of the Lord always leads to faith in the Lord, which always leads to faithfulness to that Lord. Your children will watch your walk far more than they will listen to your talk. Third, considering your outline, C, a life of reward. Now, 
The Lord here makes a tremendous promise to the nation whose homes are marked by reverence and righteousness. There's a great reward. First of all, life will be prolonged. He says in verse 2b, and that your days be prolonged. So I want to tell you this morning that reverence and righteousness not only leads to a holy life, it leads to a healthy life. You know, if the home and the family is going to make a comeback, it's going to have to begin with the parents. Parents, we're going to have to live our religion, not just talk it. We're going to have to practice what we preach, and we're going to have to preach what we practice. Secondly, in your outline, consider there is a divine Lord that must be loved. It goes without saying that God's blueprint for a beautiful home does call for God. Our text, verse 4, states, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There are so many parents who think that it is enough if they just teach their child there is a God. Or even if they teach their child that this is the God, the God who created this universe and the God who wrote the Bible and even the God who has a plan for their life. And all of that should be taught. But it is not enough to teach a child the reality of God. That child must also be taught his responsibility to God. We have one basic primary responsibility and response that God desires from us, and that is to love him. I'm not talking about the typical love that you get from a typical Christian. I'm talking about the kind of love that God desires and God deserves and God demands, and that is delineated here in verse 5. Now consider these three. First in your outline, A, a fervent love. Our text, verse 5, states, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. The biggest sin in the church today is the sin of a half-hearted love. Many Christians love God just enough to come half a day or less on Sunday. And I want to tell you that a divided heart is an abomination to God. God hates it. Lukewarmness. Half-hearted devotion makes God sick. G. Campbell Morgan, he's one of the greatest expositors of the 20th century, said this, Lukewarmness is the worst form of blasphemy. Parents, listen to me, and I want you to listen hard and listen straight. You can do everything else right as a parent, But if you don't have a wholehearted, blazing, burning, passionate love for the Lord Jesus Christ and pass that love to your children, you have failed miserably as a mother and a father. Second, your outline, consider a faithful love. You know, we're also to love God with all our souls. And the soul is the seat of the mind, the seat of the will and the emotions. In other words, there is to be no sign in any part of your life that says, this is reserved for me and me alone. No trespassing. Do you know why so many church-going parents turn out children who forsake the house of God and basically leave Christianity? Do you remember when you were inoculated for certain diseases? The doctor sometimes would give you just a small 
dose of whatever that disease might be, which would then help your body develop an immune system to the real thing so you would never get deathly sick. Well, too often parents give their children just a small dose of Christianity, just enough to make them immune to the real thing. Those kids never see a fervent, faithful, passionate, burning, hot, blazing love for God like there ought to be and there should be. They see a holy mom on Monday and a hellish mom on, I mean on, on Sunday and a hellish mom on Monday. They see a dad who says amen on Sunday and curses like a sailor on Monday. They see a dad who drops a dollar in the offering plate on Sunday and makes a hundred dollars in a crooked business deal on Monday. And they say, if that's what Christianity is, I don't need it. Then third, in your online, consider a firm love. We are to love God with all our strength. You know, there is a word that is repeated three times in this verse. And it's easy to see. It is the word all, all, all. We are to love God with all of our being. Someone has well said, it doesn't take much of a parent to be a Christian. It takes all there is of them. And so if you want your kids to grow up and love God, if you want your grandchildren to be raised to love God, then right now, your kids better see that you love God. I heard about a pastor who was talking to a group of kids at a Sunday school class. And he was asking them the question, why do you love God? Well, as he went down the line, he got a variety of answers. But the one that he liked the best came from a little boy sitting at the end of a row. And he said, I don't know why I love God, Pastor. I guess it just runs in my family. I don't care what else you give your children. You may as well give them nothing if you do not give them a burning love for the Lord Jesus Christ. What good does it do to raise your child in the finest home, to give your child the finest education, to see to it that they get the finest jobs, to help them marry the finest people, to help them have the finest career, to help them reach the finest position in life, and then bury them in the finest casket to give them the finest funeral, to lay them in the finest grave, and then to stand in eternity and watch them rise in the judgment to meet a God that they do not know. Why does the Bible specifically say we should love God with heart, soul, and strength? Well, man is a tripart type being. That is, he is body, soul, and spirit. And the heart refers to the spirit. Your strength refers to the body. What he's saying here is, we are to love God with all that we are, body, soul, and spirit, every muscle, every fiber, every tendon, every nerve, every cell is to be given over to a love for God. And incidentally, you cannot love God if you do not love Jesus. In John 15, 23, he says, He who hates me hates my father also. Listen, you cannot have God if you do not have Jesus. 
1 John 2.23 states, Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Lastly, third in your outline, consider there are definite lessons that must be learned. Now I'm going to tell you something that may shock some of you, but the primary responsibility for educating your kids does not lie with the school system, nor with the church. It lies in the home. See, God intended for the home to be the university of life. The parents are to be the professors. The children are to be the pupils. The Bible is to be the principal, and the home is to be the place. You know, we've got people saying, we need more Christian schools. I'm all in favor of more Christian schools. But I'll tell you, the greatest need in America is not for Christian schools, it is for Christian homes. Do you think that a Christian school can solve a problem with your child if you're not doing the job at home? We've got people up in arms because their kids are not allowed to pray in school and they don't even pray at home. The primary place where your child ought to learn the word of God and meet the Son of God, and understand the working of the Spirit of God ought to be in the home. Do you understand why your children have been given to you? Primarily for one reason, to learn God's truth. How are we to give them that truth? Well, listen, four ways. First, in your outline, consider we are to teach the truth. Now, before you can teach the truth, you've got to know the truth, love the truth, and live the truth. Our text, verse 6, states, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You cannot teach the truth to someone else until that truth has gotten into you. When it does, you ought to teach it. Our text, verse 7, states, You shall teach them diligently to your children. You know, that word diligently in the English is actually an adverb in the Hebrew. And it comes from a root term that means to sharpen. In other words, we are to so strongly impress our children with the truths of the word of God that we might sharpen them and make them ready to meet the challenges of life undergirded by the foundation of the word of God. You see, God wants more than anything else for there to be a conscious, consistent transfer of the truth of the word of God from one generation to the next, from the parent to the child. Our kids need to know more than how to make a living. They need to learn how to make a life. I tell you that I would rather my kids dig ditches for a living and have a blazing, burning love for the Lord Jesus Christ than to be president of the United States and never darken the door of a church. That love will only come as you teach them, Dad, and teach them, Mom, the truths of the Word of God. Now, you may be asking, well, what do I teach them? Where do I start? In the context here, in this scriptures, the statutes and the commandments that Moses was referring to were the Ten Commandments that he had just discussed back in chapter 5, verses 6 to 21. You know, it is amazing 
how much you can teach children if you just teach the basic truths of the Ten Commandments. I heard about a father that was having family devotions and he was explaining the commandment, honor thy father and thy mother. He said, now that's the commandment that teaches you how to treat your parents. And then he asked, is there a commandment that teaches you how to treat your brothers and sisters? His youngest little son said, yes, sir, thou shalt not kill. (laughs) And secondly, in your online, consider that we are to talk the truth. Our text, verse 7, states, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Now, in the Hebrew language, there is a word that is used in making a formal proclamation. But that's not the word used here. The word that is used here is a term that just means to talk. That is exactly what we are to do. We are to talk about spiritual things and spiritual truths just like we talk about most things, all things. There are all kinds of ways that you can teach your kids your creatively the word of God, taking opportunity whenever you can. For example, when bad things happen, you can teach them to thank God in the middle of of bad circumstances. And that is what we are to do just in a normal, natural, calm, cool, collected manner. Talk to them. Talk the truth. Thirdly, in your outline, consider that we are to take the truth. Our text, verse 8, says, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Now, the Jews took this literally. They would take leather boxes and put scripture in them, and they would bind these leather boxes to their heads and to their hands to remind them of the word of God. In other words, everywhere they went, they would take the word of God. We should do that. Not so much literally. We're not asking anyone to tie on the outside of your heads, these boxes, and on the outside of your hands, but we're asking you to place it inside of your heart. And then fourth, in your outline, consider we are to tell the truth. Our verse 9 states, you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You know, many times the Jews would put mezuzahs on the doorpost of their house. This was another type of container in which they would place scripture passages. Though I'm not saying that we ought to do that, literally, it's not a bad idea, but I do believe that the principle here is simply that every family in your neighborhood should know that your house is a house of God and that Jesus is the unseen guest in that house. And you should be giving a a 24-hour-a-day witness and testimony that you and your house serve the Lord. Small example, have your welcome mat state, Jesus loves you. You see, the word of God ought to permeate every part of your home and every part of your heart. And we are to bind the word of God on our hands. In other words, it is to dominate our actions. We are to bind the word of God between our eyes where we think it is to dominate our attitudes. We are to write it on the doorposts of our houses. It is to dominate our atmosphere, or to put it another way, if there is to be 
a practice of the word of God, there is to be a presence of the word of God and there is to be a providence of the word of God in our homes and in our hearts. Amen? Just in time to save the voice. (laughs) Amen. The service is over. We all fall short. We all fall short of God's message this morning. It's not too late. Start today. Begin shaping your homes into God's design. Amen. I will see you next week. Happy Father's Day. Enjoy your barbecues. Amen.